Hello and welcome to our podcast named Detours. This podcast embraces the unexpected twists and turns that shapes the journeys of our lives that God sends us down. I'm your host and fellow traveler, Mike. I'm here with my beautiful wife, Deb, and we invite you to join us on this exploration of uncharted territories we encounter along the way. So without further ado, let's dive into this episode. Hello and welcome to episode number seven of season two. Detours is the name of the podcast. You guys know I am joined by the most beautiful co-host on the planet, my wife, Deb. Hi, guys. And you know my guest for season number two, my dad. Hello. So we had a long talk before this episode, and we decided that we have to preface this episode with a lot of information before we even dive in. And the reason we have to preface it is this could very well be the hardest episode that anyone listens to when you lose a child. Um, we're we're going to say some things today that when you're that fragile, when you're hurting that badly, um, it, it can be tough to hear. But I promise you, if you come into this episode with an open hand, uh, you will glean something. Uh, the purpose of this episode today, Dad, we were literally talking about it. The, the, the whole purpose of today is to, to kind of motivate some people. Uh, when, you, when you have the loss of a child, people can get stuck. They can ask the question, well, what do I do next? And Today, we're going to talk through what worked for you, but what worked for you, the reason we had spent so much time briefing before this is because what worked for you may or may not work for the person next to them. Everybody's going to be at, react differently. Mm -hmm. um, Deb, you have some trauma in your background, and you're going to talk a little bit about how you've dealt with it, uh, and, and there's going to be some things that might be hard to hear because you're saying that's you. It's easy for you to say that that was your situation, but you don't know what I'm going right. through. And I don't think there's a cookie cutter answer to this. And it's important that we, we say, we're not saying this works for everyone. This is something that individually we've done to deal with our hurt and pain and grief. Yeah. And, and, and so the, this episode, my challenge to you is to have one takeaway there. There, we hope and we pray that there is one thing from this episode at minimum that you can glean from and, and say, you know what, I'm going to take that and I'm going to do my own variation of that. What they talked about, I don't know that that would work for me, but I get what they're saying. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do my version of this. So that that's, that's the hope behind it. Um, guys, we understand the gravity behind this situation of losing a child. Um, it fundamentally changes the DNA of who you are, whether you've recognized it yet or not. It has. So now, now what? So, so dad, why, why don't you kick us off? This was, how do I get, how do I get moving again after a child has been taken? Well, the first 
place that you've got to start is you have to want to change. You recognize that where you're at today, uh, whether it's depression or whatever it might be, anger, it could be guilt, whatever, that all of those things are holding you back as a person. And you've got to say to yourself, it's time for change. And you have to accept that first or things will never change. Yes, the first step really is. And, and even in, you know, AA and all of those programs is the acknowledgement that I need help. And, and that's what I think everybody needs to realize is, is they are faced with a choice. Um, and, you know, so you can choose to stay where you're at or you can choose that, hey, I think God has more planned for me and he wants more out of me than for me to be where I'm at now, grieving the loss of this child. So talk to me, Dad, about what was it like when Stuart passed? What what the, the, we, we referenced prior to the show that it was almost like you had to flip on a light switch. What was the timing of it? What was going through your head? What were you thinking about? What were you saying to God? Well, for me, it happened within hours of Stuart's passing. Sandra and I came home. It was 3 o'clock in the morning, I guess. And we knelt on the living room floor, and I prayed. And already I felt an anchor around my neck that I knew I wanted to have that anchor removed because I still had a son, a four-year-old son, you, that I wanted to raise and I wanted to make sure that your life was everything it could possibly be. And I knew that if I wasn't, you know, if I was still grieving and I was feeling sorry for myself or I was angry or whatever it might be, that it was going to have an impact on the one child that I still had left on this earth. And so I made a decision. I prayed right away saying, God, please take this, this whole burden away from me because I have another son to raise. Talk to me about that prayer. Is that a two-minute prayer? Is it wrestling alone in your closet for hours? Is it done with a Bible what what are what does that conversation look like for you? It was a uh, maybe a minute of prayer. Um, it was Sandra and I together, although I was doing the praying, and I said, "God, I need you to take this. I don't know how to deal with all this. I feel terrible. I feel alone. I feel broken. I feel empty." but I can't keep going like this. If I live in this cycle that I'm in and I never take myself out of it, I won't be a proper father to Mike. And so, no, I didn't go in a prayer closet and pray for hours and hours and agonize. It was just a simple ask that took, I mean, it was part of a, a larger prayer, but it was a minute or so. Did Sandra have that prayer as well? Did hers look different? Um, 
I don't know that I remember that she actually, I mean, we, we were together. I don't know that she actually prayed out loud that I could tell you what she was praying at the moment. Mm. Um, I don't recall that. I think I led the prayer and I prayed it for both of us. You know, I said, God, you got to take this from us. And so what I don't want the audience to do is make the assumption that this just magically disappeared one minute after you started praying. That was just you turning on a light switch. There was still a lot that had to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Tons. Yes, correct. So what what you said you felt this anchor did was the anchor still there at the end of the prayer do you remember what was it a, a slow removing of it well keep in mind it was two hours after i'd lost my son and you don't process the that's death of a child in two hours that's true i'm not sure i knew what to say when i prayed except that i knew that i had to raise a son but the bottom line is the loss of a child is something that lasts a lifetime in certain ways. You have to choose how you want to process and control that emotion. But I can go to a funeral today for someone else and immediately flash back to the funeral of Stuart and start crying. That, that emotion, you know, the emotion never leaves. It's there because this is a major part of your life but you you know when i've always been a person where the glass is always half full i've never been a a pessimist and i would tell you that it certainly didn't leave the minute i finished that prayer it went on for months and and, and years but what happened was within a short period of time, I began to feel less and less of the burden. I can't tell you when it left. Don't remember that there was a day that I woke up and said, boy, I'm back to normal again today. I, I'm not back to normal 40 years later. God used that event to change me. Yeah, I can see that. And so, you, you, you know, you, you look at it. But the important thing that I think people need to understand is there's a point of demarcation that takes place when you lose a child. But that doesn't mean that God's put an end to your life. God still has a purpose for your life. You may lose track of what that purpose is, or he may be changing the purpose of your life. He certainly did for me. But the hope is that the folks that are listening can say, there is hope that I can get on the other side of this and still serve God and be a blessing to someone else. Can we talk a little bit about hope? Because sure. I think the, the world has a different definition of hope than the Christian. And I think worldly hope says, if everything goes my way, then all is right in the world. Or there's a lot of doubt packed behind the word hope. Like, oh, I hope I get this job. I hope I feel better. I hope this goes away. There's a there's an unspoken, I'm not sure, 
around worldly hope, where biblical hope is you're actually hoping in a person. You're hoping in the character of Jesus Christ. Your your hope is, God, you're going to show up the way I know you've shown up in the Bible. I know that you're going to be who you say you are, which is consistent and loving, and you're not going to leave me, and you're not going to let me bear this alone. So there's a really different level of hope for a Christian than there is for a non-Christian that like hope is actually a person. It's the person of Jesus in my mind. Um, so I guess the, the journey is also like, okay, I'm hoping in you, Lord, you're, you're going to make this, whatever I can't handle in this grief, you're there to fill in the parts of my heart that I'm just stuck in. It's pretty well said, Deb, you know, at that point, I felt like my heart was empty and that certainly didn't refill for quite a while. And that, you know, there's still a special spot in my heart that is empty there, you know, but I thought your definition of hope was a good one. It's mm-hmm. not, gee, I sure hope I can do this. Right. The hope is that we believe that Jesus Christ can take us out of this yeah, and amen. give us a full rich life again. Yeah. And the hope that we know Stuart is running around the streets of heaven. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to go see him one day. And as a big brother, I'll get to give him a noogie. <laughs> and I'll get to, you know, throw a football with him. But I have that hope because of, of Jesus. So one of, one of the things I want to talk through... It, it's very easy when, when people go through something traumatic like losing a child where they can isolate themselves and say, you don't know what I've been through. I believe there are people listening to this that are saying, you know what, I don't have any other kids. So for me to pray a prayer or have the, the, the thought I want to pour into my other child. I I don't have that. You don't know what I'm going through. I have nothing else. And, And you're telling me Jesus took everything I have and yet he still loves me. What would you say to that person? Yes, they're different than you, but we do have hope no matter what. Yes, I would say that's very true. What I would you know, from and I'm I'm speaking from personal experience here, but you know, there was a point in time where God spoke to me and he said, Steve, you've gone through this, and because of that experience, I want you to share with others how you dealt with it and and you know how I intervened in your life and made your life something valuable even though you lost a child because truthfully you know one of the things that always bothered me was the funeral people would come up and they go oh i know how you must feel Hmm. you have no clue right i've never felt pain like i felt then um there you, you until you experience it you don't understand 
what real pain is. And I'm sure you've had similar situations, Deb, where people, you know, oh, I'm sure it was really tough when you went through that. I, I feel bad for you. You don't have a clue. Right. I don't think people can truly empathize. I think people can sympathize and feel, you know, something for what you're going through. But to empathize with someone is to step into the pain and have that experience that's shared. And so unless you've lost a child, and, and in my case, unless you've experienced the trauma of sexual abuse, someone that hasn't had that story doesn't have the depth of emotion that's attached to it or the knowledge of what it's like every day to deal with that Mm -hmm. it it, you can't understand unless you're there there's a price for admission oh that's that's a great way of saying it yeah right and and it's it's a club that you don't necessarily want to be a part of but since you're here right you're presented with a choice yes so dad you pray this prayer there's a one minute prayer there, there has to be action. You can't just pray, like, right? If, if you're out there and you're single and you're looking for a spouse, you can't just pray, God, give me that spouse. <laughs> you've got to get out there. You've got to go serve at the church. You've got to go be active. You're not going to find someone sitting in a house if there's no action. You pray a one-minute prayer that says, God, I, I got to get past this. I need your help. Please take this anchor from around my neck. What are the actions that you took following up with that immediately after that, months after that, years after that? What did that look like? Well, I never gave up on the Lord. You know, I, I know there are people that get angry and they stop going to church. Yeah. I never stopped going to church. There might be days that I didn't feel like going, but I went because I really felt, hey, maybe God's going to say something to me today. But I also looked for ways, and how do I turn this tragedy into something good? Um, that was that was my focus. Was okay. I can't I can't do anything to bring Stuart back. But what could I do that would have meaning mm-hmm. that? would take this negative that would never have happened had the negative come along, what could I do to turn it into a positive? And I spoke earlier on the, in the podcast about the Ronald McDonald house. The greatest joy that I got out of all this was dedicating that house to Stuart to say, you know what? I will, if I, if I do this well, I will create a place where families with sick kids can have just, some sort of temporary relief and perhaps spend time with the rest of their family. You know, in in our situation, you were at home with your grandmother. Sandra and I were at the hospital. By the time we got home at night, you were already in bed. Oftentimes, by the time you got up in the morning, we were long gone. And the Ronald McDonald House presented a unique opportunity to me that I could say, wow, I can have an impact on lots of people by providing them a place to, to go and rest. You get so tired during these things. You know, those of you that, that have had sick children that are going through a battle with cancer, you're exhausted. 
and you need your rest, but that, that's really hard to get. Ronald McDonald House gave me that. You know, when Stuart was, it would have given me that, I didn't have it. I talked about the fact that this was a smoke-filled room that we had to sit there, and it was miserable. So, but I, I would also give an example. I have a, a dear friend of mine that they lost their college-age son, and within hours of that happening, after I talked to him, I said, you really need to think about how do you take this experience and turn it into something really good that, you, you know, your son may not be here, but there's a legacy that was left behind. And they created a very cool charity. Um, his son was an extraordinary young man. He, he was very kind to people. And they created a charity called Choose Kindness. And it, it's really cool because does it replace their son? Of course not. Does the Ronald McDonald House replace my son? Of course not. But it gives you a feeling that you've done something that helps somebody that's going through the same problem you did. That it's being a good steward of your, a good manager of your suffering to be mm -hmm. able to, to glorify God and say, you know what, you promise that you'll turn these ashes into beauty and to be able to walk that out with Jesus actually allows that suffering to have even more purpose in your life because you're trying to help somebody walk through their own set of suffering, at least in, in my experience, which of course is, you know, parallel, but different than yours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, you know, you're talking about things, you know, it's easy to talk about the Ronald McDonald house because we're 30 years removed from that. But what are the steps that you take the day after the week? What are those, for you, was it literally flipping a switch going from zero to 60 immediately? Was it a slow increase? And, and what, what were those steps that you started to take? Okay. So first of all, you don't throw the switch immediately. Grief is something we all have to do. The funeral process is, is a very challenging time. You know, that we had an open casket. We stood there as visitors came by and, and, and you look at that baby in the casket. There are times I wish I had, had not done that because I, I think, you know, gee, I'd like to remember him the way he really was, but you can't flip that switch immediately. You can say, I want this, but you have to have time to process that grief. You have to, Take the the opportunity to cry. It's great, you know. It's great therapy to cry. Mm -hmm. But if you're still crying every day, a significant period of days, months, or years from now over the same situation, you've allowed yourself to be stuck in a rut that I don't really, at least for me, I knew God didn't want me to do, nor could I do it if I wanted to be a good father. Now, if you're, this was your only child and the child passes away and you have nothing else to lean on, 
you still have to grieve just like I did. I had to go through that. I had to watch them lower that casket into the ground, and I had to... I had to think about things. You, your mind is is nothing but mush for some period of time. I mean, for me, it was probably ten days where he, I was certainly not capable Numb. of thinking. Absolutely, I was not capable of thinking how to get out of it. It was at some point. Then I said, "Okay, it's time to go back to work. It's time to become a normal person again." Now I got to flip that switch. Well, there's no healing without grieving. So, yeah, there's a grieving's got to take an, a, a toll on people. But and some people grieve faster than others, mm -hmm. for sure. And I think part of, you know, when you're in the grieving process, simple things like not having to make decisions goes a long way. If someone just brings you food rather than you opening the refrigerator and going, what do I have to make? Just simple things like that can can really change. It, it really means so much to the person going through it. So if you know someone that's lost a child, you know, we, we talked a lot pre-show about this mentality of being a servant, mm -hmm. having a servant attitude, whether you're the person going through this or you know a person that's going through this having that servant attitude changes everything. Absolutely. It does. And you know what I've found as I've gotten on the other side of this whole thing, that the servant attitude comes with what I, what I chose to do, because what I've chosen to do is say, when I have a friend that loses a spouse, a parent, a child, whatever, my first question I ask myself is, I know I can't, do snap my finger and do some magical event that's going to take them through this. But what can I do that for just a little bit will provide some relief relief. That's a great word, Deb. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I, I, I have a lady that at the time I hardly knew and her parents were involved in an auto accident. And the mother died and the father lived but in very serious condition. And the first thought is, what can I do for these people? The one thing I remembered was when Stuart died, there was a lady in the town where my in-laws were from that her ministry was to make cinnamon rolls for people that if you were sick, she'd bring a pan of cinnamon rolls. If you had, you know, when I came to visit, town she always had a pan of cinnamon rolls your favorite oh my favorite for sure <laughs> yeah and the first thought that crossed my mind is first of all you don't have an appetite you don't care about eating you're but if something's there you'll put it in your mouth and chew it up and i thought you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna make some muffins and and give them these muffins and i made a bunch because I wanted them to have plenty. I didn't know how big the family was. Or they ended up taking some to the hospital, and they gave them to the doctors and the nurses. Or it was really cool. And it, it, it was just a small thing, but, you know, I've been told that they actually really appreciated that. That just, you know, those kinds of things, when you become a servant, and part of being a servant is helping people like we're trying to do today, 
to say, how can I help you get to a better place? I think that's a really noble ambition because let's be honest, there is no owner's manual out there. You can't open the Bible and find, okay, here are the eight steps to dealing with the loss of a child. First of all, as you said at the beginning, Mike, for each one of us, it's different and unique. Mm-hmm. But I still remember, and I mentioned this in a previous episode, I still remember certain actions that people took that at the time were they were they, they may not have been very significant, but they were to me. You know, somebody showed up at the funeral that I never expected. I'm like, what are you doing here? And it really ministered to me, and and it made me feel really good. So being the heart of a servant really gives you the opportunity to say, what can I do to help people? And part of why we're doing this podcast right now is our goal is to help those of you that are out here today struggling with this situation to help you get on the other side of it. And I hate to use a trite phrase, but how do we make lemonade out of lemons? You know, how do I bring glory to my son, even though he's not here? And I, you know, I look at, you know, not everybody's going to want to build a Ronald McDonald house, but you know, I, I think we talked maybe earlier about a lady that I, I through Facebook saw that she was she would go to the cemetery every day and read a book to her child. And the answer is, how much more productive would it be if you read that book at the library to a group of children because the spirit of your son is going to follow you wherever you go? He's not necessarily in that grave. He's just as much in the library as he is anywhere. And all of a sudden you feel really good because there's 10 kids there listening today that really felt good about hearing that book. And you can walk out and go. I did that in my child's honor. Yeah. And and, and there's a sense of pride that you can take, or it's, I don't know if it's pride, but a sense of relief that says, maybe I did make a small difference to somebody else. That's Those are the kind of things that got me through this this situation was finding little tiny glimmers of things that I, I went to people's funerals that I hardly even knew. We were part of a very large church. And I, I remember that, that one of the people that I kind of knew, uh, his wife passed away and I went to the funeral and he's like, do I know you? And I said, well, I go to Calvary church and he goes, Oh, Okay. Well, even today, we both still go to Calvary many years later, and he still says to me, I still can't believe you came to my wife's funeral because you hardly even knew us. But it made a difference to him, you know? Yeah, you know, it's small things done in great love makes such an, an impact in people's lives. I mean, you took the time to do this, and it may seem small, but it really was impactful in this man's life like you you cared enough to come to my wife's funeral you again he said you hardly know me like it's it it is a servant's heart yeah and i i think that when you get to a point where you, you know you, you've been in living in this grief for some period of time 
you do have to make that choice that says, and, and you'll decide when the minute's right, you have to make a choice that says, okay, today I'm flipping that switch. I don't feel like I want to flip that switch, but I'm going to do it. And when you do it and you there's an action associated with flipping that switch, it's, it's a momentary relief that you go, that actually felt pretty good. And the more you repeat it, the more you get to a point where you feel like, I can get through this. I can help others that are suffering from the same thing I suffered from. And all I'm going to do is share the wisdom of what I did by blind luck more than anything else. And, but it was something good that you do for someone else. And you say, what can I do for somebody else to say thanks for the life that I did get of nine months with Stuart? And how do I bring honor to his life? And how do I begin to start serving God again, because you go through a rut and you're not serving anybody. You're, you're just sitting home with, with, you know, terrible thoughts of replaying every moment. Mm. But now all of a sudden your mind starts to go to better things. And that was significant for me. So it wasn't just a switch. It, it took, well, I, I can't even put a time frame on it two years maybe, to really kind of get on the other side of it. But in the meantime, God gave me an incredible miracle. Three, three and a half months after Stuart died, God gave me a baby girl. <laughs> that helps take your mind off. Now, you know, I can't promise to everybody that is listening to this podcast that God's going to put a, a baby in your life to replace the one you just gave up. Right. But for whatever reason, because I began to, you know, honor God, it was almost, you know, you, you, you plant a seed and you say, this is one little idea that I'm going to do to take muffins to somebody. But as God sees that you're, you know, you're trying to be faithful to him, he says, I got some good stuff for you in that detour. And that's why we call this detours. There are so many things that I have experienced in the last 40 years that I would have never, ever gotten a chance to do. And if you're sitting here today and you're saying, oh, woe is me, my life is over. The life as you know it today is over, but God still got a lot of good things for you. And and that's, that's what I think people need to focus on, right? So if you're listening to this and you're going, Steve, you don't know what I'm going through because God gave you a child a few months later, or, you know, maybe you lost a spouse and you didn't have any kids. Steve, you don't know what I'm going through because I just lost my wife and I have nothing else. The point of what we're saying isn't we got a child. We got my sister a few months after it was God's faithfulness. Amen. That is the theme. Mm -hmm. And we can sit here and go, this is what worked for us. This is what worked for us. These things we're, we're giving you the, the, the solution that was the Snyder family and the Marcellisi family as, as we went through 
trials and tribulations, but the common theme is not, like you said earlier, you may not be ready to open a Ronald McDonald house. Chances are pretty good that you're not. Chances are pretty good that you're not going to get another child handed to you without even filling out the application a few months after. Chances are really good. None of that's going to happen. That's not the comparison we're trying to make. And that's, that's, that's right. not what we're saying. We are saying we serve a God of intimate detail. And those were the details that he filled in for us. If you make the choice, the hard choice, dad, that you made, Deb, after your sexual abuse, the hard choice that you made and you choose to honor God and go, I know you have more for me than this. And even though I don't understand, I am going to honor you knowing that somehow you're going to blow my mind and you're going to honor me in ways that I can't fathom right now. That's the theme. That's what you guys as listeners need to take away from this episode. And go, yeah, go ahead. Dave. Yeah. I was just gonna say you, you, you touched on a nerve there that I think is really important. God chose me to make the Ronald McDonald house because first of all, he knows I'm a salesman. And, and, I, and I love to sell, <laughs> but somebody had to go out and raise money to build this building. And somebody, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I visited things like the Kiwanis club or some social organization, whatever to say, Hey, we're trying to raise a lot of money here. Would you be willing to, to make a donation? Um, and, and when we were in the process of choosing contractors we we held a a banquet or a luncheon for all the contractors in chicago that we thought were candidates for our our job and i told the story of Stuart and another employee of mine at the time who had gone through a similar situation at the same hospital with a sick child told his story and he too happens to be a really good salesperson. Hmm. The bottom line is we touched a lot of people that day because all of a sudden, you know, these people are going, wow, think how lucky I am. My four kids are all healthy, hmm. but yeah. there are other people that are suffering right now. I, it was a call to action for them to say, all right, I'm going to donate $100,000 worth of materials to this job, whatever it might be. But God took my my talent that he knew I had, and he turned it. I had known nothing about architectural stuff. I can't draw a straight line with a ruler and a pencil. And he knew that. But he didn't ask me to do that. He, he said, I want you to run this project, and I can do project management. But he used my skills to go talk to people. And whatever, you, what, whatever you're good at. In the case of the lady in Missouri, she was great at making cinnamon rolls. Mm. He didn't ask her to go make any speeches anywhere. He just said, make a 
pan of cinnamon rolls for Steve Snyder when he, you know, if he's, he, by the way, I ate the whole pan by myself. Um, <laughs> you know, it. you had been fasting in your defense. I had been, been fasting for, for like 10 days. You're right. But what I'm saying here is, yes, I built a Ronald McDonald house, but it was because God looked at it and said, here's what you'd be good at. Amen. Don't feel like, well, this makes no sense because I can't, you know, I, I don't know anything about any of this stuff. I can't do a Ronald McDonald's. You don't have to. Do you think Go- God compares a pan of cinnamon rolls to a Ronald McDonald house? Absolutely not. He said both of these people showed up. But you know what? It's he knows. I was going to say, yeah. it's the heart behind it, and it's the heart of the person that receives it that goes, I was really blessed by that. Yeah. I was blessed by those cinnamon rolls. The families that are standing in a Ronald McDonald house are really blessed. I, I, I love to go over to the Ronald McDonald House. We have a bulletin board where we post letters from people that have stayed in the house. How nice. And they talk about, you know, the whole, you know, what the house meant to them during this difficult time. And and you go, wow. God used me in a unique way to, to minister to other people. And he'll use you too. Don't worry about, well, what am I going to do here? That's not your worry. God will find the right ministry for you to be able to honor your loved one. And if it's something as simple as making cinnamon rolls, I can tell you this, that one single act is still something that I remember to this day. It was 40 day. years ago, and you're still talking about the cinnamon I, rolls. It, I mean, they, that they means something. They were amazing, and, and it meant a lot. <laughs> it, you know, it meant a lot to me. And yes. it, it was It was a really cool ministry. And all I would say to you folks as, as you listen to this is, don't think that you have to have some brilliant skill. It might be that... You have the ability to do things like go to a, 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 a person, an elderly person's home who just lost their spouse and trim their shrubs. If you're good at that, think of what that might mean to someone that can't do it because their husband used to do this all the time. He passed away and it's like, what do I do now? I don't have the money to go pay for this. You know, if somebody, you know, in your neighborhood, an elderly person needs their house painted, maybe you're really good at that. There's just so many ways that God will open up the doorways. If if you just take one little small step forward, you'll be amazed at the doors, how they open and you go, oh, wow, okay, I can do this. And something, I don't remember if you've said it on this show, but we certainly talked about it beforehand. Also do things without any expectation. I don't expect to get anything out of, like, anything from you. I'm serving you because I love to serve, not because I want something from you. It is purely this. It's an act of worship. Yeah. Giving up of self. Uh to just go serve someone with no motivation whatsoever and just see, right, that we've talked about the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is circumstantial where joy isn't. And in, in serving creates joy because you are just doing something completely selfless. Um, but I think, you you know, there, there's this lady in, that was in both of our lives, more so you than me, but 
Lois, mm-hmm. you you were once described as Lois's personal chef uh, in an emergency situation. Uh, wow, well, give, give, that's yeah. great. You're a good cook, so she was uh, a lucky woman. Well, she she was in her 90s, and she has a daughter that travels a lot and who also doesn't like to cook. <laughs> and I took it upon myself to say, you know what? This lady loves to eat, and it would make my heart just explode because... I would make this meal for her. She goes, oh, you gave me too big of a piece of salmon, or you gave me too big of a piece of cake. And then she'd be sitting there licking the platter (laughs) afterwards going, oh, that was really good. I I thought you said it was too big. But uh, I want to go back to to something you you said just a couple minutes ago, and that is today's society is all about me. You know, what's in it for me? And that's the exact wrong attitude that people carry. The joy that I get comes from what I do. I don't ever ask for anything in return. I'd feel really uncomfortable taking something in return because I did this because I wanted to bless you in a certain way. And when you do it because you're trying to bless someone, it's not because you want something in return. And I have lots of friends that keep scorecards. Well, uh, you know, I, I did this for you. You owe this to me. I think people do that with God, too. I've done. I've served you this way for this many years. What have you done for me? And that's a very dangerous position to put yourself it in. It is. It is. And, you know, I want to go back to something we talked about early on when Pastor Smithgall was preaching the, the funeral service for Stuart. He, he went to the book of Second Samuel where he tells about the death of David's son. And he tells the story that David was weeping and, you know, praying and weeping and fasting for his son, and his son passes away. And his servants were afraid to tell him because they said, you know, if he's been this upset while his son has, has been ill, Think how upset he's really going to be when he finds out the kid died. Never afraid to tell him. And all of a sudden, David looks over and he goes, something's going on here. And he goes, did my son pass away? Well, yeah, he did. So what did David do about that? He went and he cleaned himself up and he called to have the, a meal prepared. And Where's the servants going? came to him and said, we're really confused here. You you basically, you know, the whole time your, your child was was ill you you were crying and fasting and all this now he's gone and it's like everything's changed you 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 change your you know you cleaned up you put on clean clothes you're having a feast what happened and he said well you know when my son was still alive i prayed because i i hoped that god would have mercy and save my son but that didn't happen so my son can no longer come to me, so I have to prepare myself to go see my son. And the part that is really the operative here is he said, I have to prepare myself to go see my son. We, you know, what is it that God wants from you is preparation to show that you have the right relationship with him and the right heart that will prepare you so when that day does come, 
that you breathe your last breath, the first moment that you're in heaven, you know, people always say to me, boy, I bet when you get to heaven, you're going to say to God, what, what, you know, why did you take my son? You know what? It won't matter. You'll get to be in the presence of Jesus. I will be there in the presence of Jesus. And I figure I'm going to walk through the, the pearly gates and Jesus is going to be standing there and Stuart's going to be right behind him. And at that point, you, you know, you have to, you know, I, I don't want to miss that opportunity. I, I want to make sure that my life is, is such that when I get to the gate, he doesn't slam the door shut and say, eh, nope, not you. I want to see Jesus and I want to see my son. And I can't wait. And that's wait. hope. That's hope. Right. That, that's, that's hope. That's what you hold on to. Yep. As a parent, when your child dies, that's the the hope that you have is that that child isn't six feet under. That child is running around having the time of their life right now. Yeah. Stuart is so much better off where he's at now than anything you as a father could have provided for him and anything that I could have ever done for him as a brother. He is far better off. And if you don't have that visual, if you don't have that hope that is heaven. That is Jesus. Hope is well, faithfulness and, and as a parent, in Jesus. As a parent, you sit there and you say, look, when I took on the role of being a parent, I took on the responsibility that I have, whether it's one child or ten, I have a responsibility to make sure that they get to heaven. That's my job. Well, I got one that I'm very confident You're in. One for three. I am one for three. And, you know, Michael, you and Margo, you know, the, the, the jury's still out, but you're getting there. But, you know, I, I mean that sincerely. It's like you really have to think about, am I prepared? Do I, without the shadow of a doubt, feel like if I die tonight, I'm going to be with Jesus Stewart instantly? Because that's really what I care about right now. You know, do I wonder about things? Yeah, I wonder if Stuart's going to be an adult when I get there and he's going to be 39 years old, kind of, you know, in that body, or is he still going to be, I don't know, don't care. <laughs> it's my son. I want, to, I want to see my son. And for those of you that are listening, focus on that because when that day comes, and you get to see him. It's not just for a visit. We spend eternity with him together. And that's our reward is we get to spend eternity with Jesus. And, you know, Noah's going to be there. And, and Stuart, my mom and dad, hopefully, are there. And, you know, a lot of my friends. And that's what we all strive for, right? Amen. And is is. Christians, if you're listening to this and you're newly saved or maybe you're not saved at all, you'll hear Christians will, will often say, you know, take take out the Bible and meditate on a passage or something like that. But oftentimes I'll ask people, what, what does meditate even mean? And meditation means to be hyper aware of something. And that's what you hold on to. If you can have that that image of you arriving at heaven with Jesus there waiting for you and your child is behind him 
meditate on that and become hyper aware of that. There's so much power in that. There, there's so much motivation. If you don't feel like you're ready to flip the switch to the on position, meditate on that. Meditate on those verses that you referred to earlier when David lost his child. Meditate on whatever passages speak to you and give you that glimmer of hope. It, it, it's one thing to sit there and say, you know, God uses all things together for good, for good, for those who love him according and are called according to his purpose. It's very easy for me to sit and quote something like that to you. It's another thing to read it, to meditate on it and to know it. And that will motivate you when you ask the question, Jesus, if you love me so much, how could you take my child? If you just throw Romans 8, 28 around and you don't meditate on it and you don't believe it to your core, it's not going to motivate you. It's just going to be something that, you know, earlier you said you take lemons and you make lemonade. It's going to be one of those things that just, it, it sits on a, you know, a canvas plant. on your wall or something and you, you pass by it every single day. But to know it changes, mm-hmm. changes everything. And to know it is to live it. And, and when we start to look at what God is doing, like I'm sure 40 years removed, you can see a much bigger canvas than you did when it first happened. For sure. And in that canvas, you can see the picture that God had arranged for your healing and for your relationship with him. And God, I'm sure you can see consistently shows up the same way. And that, that knowing that those things did work for good means when another situation comes up, another grief or struggle, well, you showed up here this way, Lord, and you are the same today, yesterday, and forever. If you showed up and something turned good, you'll do it again and you'll do it again. Mm -hmm. So that's how that verse becomes lived out, is really taking a, a wider angle view of all the good that God has turned you know, how, how he's turned all these other situations into good. And I think when you meditate on that, it becomes so much more real in your heart because you have tangible examples in your life. And the definition of good changes from my definition to God's definition. Yeah. Th- that's the detour, right? You, you When you're living life and everything's hunky-dory and everything's safe and you're going straight ahead... God says, you're going to take that left at Albuquerque (laughs) and I'm going to send you down a path you didn't know, but it's because what you thought that was straight ahead was good were actually good is being in the center of my will. Well, not my will, but God's will. But to a, to a person Good is, you know what, in a world that says family doesn't matter anymore, you can have, you can co-parent, you can this, that, and the other, you can do all sorts of things. You know what, you're going to work two jobs 
and you're still going to have time left over to show up to your kid's baseball game and you're going to invest in them. And I'm going to teach you how to do that because I'm going to give you some hard things that you're going to have to do, but it's going to teach you tenacity. It's going to teach you the value of that child and the value of showing up to that baseball game. He's going to send you down paths that you don't want to go down, but it's because he's changing you into his definition of good Mm. and not your own. Praise. Amen. And, and, And that's what this is all about because no one would ever ask to have a child taken from them. But now that you're 40 years removed, yeah, there, there has to be aspects of who you are that are f- just completely different than they ever would have been. Without question. And do you regret any of it? No, certainly, you know, I, I, I'm a different person. Would I trade the Ronald McDonald House experience to get Sturt back? I'd take Sturt back in a heartbeat, right? But I learned so much from that. And I learned what means, you know, I I think, you know, our final episode of this podcast is going to focus around what does it mean to have the heart of a servant? That was, that was the ultimate sacrifice at the time because, you know, I, it took three or four years by the time we started raising money and deciding what we're going to build and then building the the building and all that kind of good stuff. It took a tremendous amount. But I look at one of the things that came out of that. It's it's just, you know, it's a blessing, you know, that I would have never counted on. But you'll remember it well because our house had a three-story atrium in it and they had a three-story fireplace. And we built a bronze sculpture of a tree on that chimney or that fireplace. And you could buy a leaf in memory of your child um, on the what we called the tree of life. And you decided after you know, working at the house, Mike and I would go over every Saturday and sweep and clean and help the carpenters out, right? And the day that the artist was up there and he's putting this tree up, he told Mike the whole story about the tree. And Mike comes home and goes, Dad, I want to buy a leaf for Stuart. And I'm like, sure, 1500 bucks, bud. (laughs) And yet that didn't seem to deter him. But where I'm going with this is very simply, not only did he buy a leaf, but he ultimately took my board seat on that Ronald McDonald house until he got transferred to Florida. And when he got transferred to Florida, he said, I got to get back helping sick kids. And he went to a place called the children's diagnostic treatment center. And he's done worlds of good for that organization. And what I would tell you is one of the absolute blessings for me is to look and see how by doing what I did, it taught my son the Mm. value of giving and he's had the true heart of a servant helping out with everything from I would agree. truckloads of groceries to TVs and video games to actual financial contributions to Christmas gifts for kids in the hospital. He's done so much there because he saw the benefit of it. Now, that to me 
was not something that I ever said when I, well, I'm going to build a Ronald McDonald house so my son learns how to, to give. Yeah. That just happened because it was all part of the plan. That's the fruit. That's the fruit. And, you know, as I look on the backside of this thing, that was a real benefit because today he he's got a lot of the, you know, they say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. He has embraced the idea of being a servant rather than a receiver. And it's very generous. Can't, uh, can't knock that at all, but I, I would say to all of you guys, if you're sitting there going, well, what's the benefit of me doing this? Don't ask that self, yourself that question because you don't even understand what the benefit might be. I you know, I can tell you all kinds of benefits of building a Ronald McDonald house besides just providing a place for families with sick kids. There was much more than that. Um, and so, you know, but that was all part of the detour that I took and, you know, I remember when we bought the, house, the, the lot that our house is on, we were driving around looking for a certain subdivision, and we couldn't find it. We got lost. And Sandra saw a sign and says, hey, wait a minute, there's a sign down there that says lots for sale. We turned in, we fell in love with it. It wasn't the place we were trying to find, but it was the per- perfect place for us to build the house. That's what detour, a detour is, is you're kind of aggravated because you're like, oh, boy, I, you know, I, I don't want to take this. 20 minute detour. I'm on my way to the beach, you know, I'm trying to get there. And, and then all of a sudden you find something on the way you go, wow, I never knew that was here. And you would have never known. And that's what this book is about. God has things in our lives for us that will be true blessings that if you fight the detour, you'll miss that. And you have an opportunity to say, okay, God, what you know? What do you want from me from this? You know, and, and tell them about your book because you just mentioned a book and we haven't talked about it yet. So, I was I was flying home from Atlanta one evening, and I was praying because Michael had sent me a, a book for I don't know birthday or Christmas that said you got to think bigger when you ask God for things, and so I was praying about so God, you know, where am I, you know what can I be doing bigger and better than what's going on now? And God said to me, you know, Steve, part of the, of what you have is you've been through this, this whole ordeal of losing a child. I'd like you to write a book. And the book is called detours. That was really the foundation of where the name detours came from. I called Mike up three years ago, probably four years ago when I first had this idea and said, I can't find a title for the book. And instantly he says, that's easy. Call it detours. Mm-hmm. You and mom wanted to have two kids, a dog, and a house with a white picket fence. And God said, not so fast, Steve. Make a left here. And I thought, wow, he's so right about that. So um, w- I thought it was finished. <laughs> I thought it was in the can. And then all of a sudden, I had another chapter or two that I realized, wow, I got to add this at the end. But the goal is here in the next few months to have copies of the book available that we're going to make available as an ebook on the website, detours.life, where you could potentially download that or give us your contact information. We'll mail you a copy. Uh, my goal is not to put it for sale anywhere because it's not meant to make money. It's really meant to use 
to minister to people, and it talks about a lot of the same things we've just discussed. Amen. So that's that's the plan. And something that you talked about earlier, you know, you your your description literally described peace with Christ. I think when you sit there and you accept, okay, God, you're, you're sending me down this detour. You can fight it or you can go, okay, God, where are you sending me? Mm-hmm. You mentioned that earlier. And I, I just want to touch on that. And it, that's, that's the definition of trusting Christ. He's going to ask you to do hard things. He asks a lot of the people that follow him. But if you trust him, you have peace with him. Mm-hmm. And even when he takes a child, yeah, you're going to bawl your eyes out. You're going to have lots of questions. You're going to wrestle with all sorts of different things. But you can still do that, and you can still have peace with him. And Amen. I think it's in the wrestling that he shows you a little bit of who he is. And he, I, I, again, I think he loves tenacity. Go, go wrestle with with God. He can handle it, man. He can handle it. He can handle the wrestling. You're not going to offend him when you ask the question, Jesus, if you love me so much, why did you take my child? He's not going to run from that question. So ask the question. There are questions that you guys are going to have that are really tough questions that just don't come up in this season of our podcast that you've never heard anyone else ask that question. You go ask it. Yep. You go ask that question to Christ and don't forget to give him an opportunity to speak. Don't do all the talking. Otherwise you could be talking right over him. And that's the advice that we would give is we've covered as much as we could today. There are things that are still unanswered for you. Go pray about it. Go wrestle with God. Go grab your Bible. And because he's a God of detail and he knows you, he will speak to you and he will show you that he's there with you. Yeah. Amen. So I think we have uh, covered this one pretty well. We're going to be back with at least one more episode for this season. So thank you guys. We hope that you took one thing. That's our, our challenge to you guys today. Take at least one thing that we've talked about today and, and, and run with it, whatever it is. Uh, and, and, and you'll be, you'll be in a better place if you can turn on that switch and just take a step. Doesn't matter what direction it is. Just take that step. But, uh, dad, thank you so much for sharing. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. We hope this has helped someone out there. Um, you guys can always, as my dad mentioned, find us. Our website is detours.life. Uh, we are out there. Uh, all podcast networks, major ones anyway. So certainly share this episode if you feel it would resonate with someone, you know someone going through it. But thank you guys so much. Deb, as always, fun co-hosting a show with you. I love it, babe. I love it as well. Thank you guys so much. We will catch up with you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.
Thanks for listening to Detours. For more content, you can find us on Spirit FM Radio, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Play, or on our website at detours.life. To view my writings or to contact me for public speaking engagements, visit my website at debmarsalisi.com. Thank you.